Hey, listen, um, how many know this? God really has a sense of humor, oftentimes. And I say that, um, for those of you that don't know, uh, Friday, I got in an accident. I was on my way to Lake Charles. They had some construction, and uh, we were at a dead stop. And uh, actually, um, I got hit at 70 miles per hour. A guy never even hit, turned his brakes on or anything, just wasn't paying attention, hit me at 70 miles an hour. And I think we have a picture of it. You want to show that picture of my truck real quick? That's my truck. Um, so I don't think I'm going to be driving that again. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's my, that's my truck. Um, I actually got hit so hard, the seats in the Forerunner actually unbolted from the, the dashboard. And uh, so we had a state trooper that came to me, and he just, uh, as they were kind of, you know, just working on everything, he said, son, I want you to know one thing. He said, when I saw your car, there was one or two things that went in my head. The guy that's in there is either dead or is seriously, seriously injured. And I can honestly say the only thing that I walked away from was a bump on my head, and I'm super sore right now. But it's literally a miracle. It really is. Um, So glad, so thankful my kids weren't with me in the car. I mean, that back seat was just totally destroyed. Um, But I say that God has a sense of humor because even the message that I wrote for this morning um, is like almost literally talking exactly kind of what I've experienced over the past few days. Um, But when you go through something like that and you walk away from something like that, I think for at least for a while you have just a different perspective on life. And uh, you realize some of the things that you actually do take for granted, like just being able to come home and kiss your wife and hug your kids and all that kind of stuff. You start to take all those things for granted. And um, the more that I, that I thought about even preaching today, um, the more I think the message that I wrote is just so relevant for, I think, what God wants to do this morning. And it's simply this. I think that a lot of people come in here um, in the church, and they're, we're all searching for something. We're all searching how do we attain joy, or how do we attain happiness, or how do we find peace in life? How do we get to a place where I'm not so troubled by my past mistakes, or I'm not so um, bothered with what life and the cards that it has dealt me? Um, Because the truth is, we're all searching for meaning. We're all looking for something. And ultimately, in a nutshell, I basically want to say this, that life is, and I'm going to echo this in Ecclesiastes in a minute, but life is absolutely, completely, and utterly meaningless unless you have a relationship with Jesus. Everything. Because, I mean, you think about it. When, 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 when you get in a wreck like that and you go through something like that, you begin to realize, man, life is precious, but not only is it precious, at the end of the day, it's a whole lot shorter than I thought it was. Um, and so here's what I want to I speak just real plainly and up front to you guys for a second. There are many of us in here, um, we get to a place and we say, you know what, I'll live for God one day. Because right now I'm having fun, I want to do what I want to do, I still want to be Lord of my life. I'm not willing to commit to that kind of relationship yet. Or, or maybe you're in your marriage right now and you'll say, well, hey, one day we'll work this out, we'll figure this out. And, and, and James puts it very simply, He's, he says this, he says, your life is a vapor, you're here today and you're gone tomorrow. So the truth is you may not have another day. The truth is you might not have that one day. You may not have that other day that you keep promising yourself when that day comes around, then I will change. I think God does subtle reminders like an accident or a wreck or something like that to simply remind us that, hey, life is short and eternity is a whole lot longer than you think it is. And so all I want to do today is I want you to walk away asking yourselves maybe just some questions. Man, what am I living for? 
What is the purpose? What is it that drives me? What is it that gets me out of bed in the morning? So before I dive into all this, let me just pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that we have the opportunity just to be able to talk about you this morning. God, I pray for those in here that, God, they're searching, they're looking, they're longing for true joy, for true peace, for true fulfillment. God, I pray that you would shatter and break down the walls of pride and insecurity and failure and the things that are constantly holding us back. God, we pray that you would have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So I think the question that has been asked for centuries, literally since the the dawn of time, ever since, at least since sin entered into the world, there's one primary question that has been asked every single day of your life, and you probably ask it every single day of your life, and you don't even realize that you're asking yourself this question, and it's simply this, what is my purpose here on this earth? Like, why am I here? How many of you have ever asked that question? Why, God, did you put me here on this earth? What is my purpose? What is my reason? Where do I find meaning? Why am I here? And the truth is, um, there's a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes, and it's going to ask that question over and over and over and over again. And the thing that I love about the book of Ecclesiastes is it's unlike any other book in the Bible. It's unlike any other book in the Bible because Ecclesiastes is almost like your five-year-old child. Meaning this, it just never stops asking questions. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking? You ever have that kid that like, Dad, when are we going to, you ever go on vacation with one of your kids? When are we going to be there? We just left like five minutes ago. And then like five minutes later, when are we going to be there? And they just keep asking that question over and over and over. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes does. It just keeps asking questions that the rest of the Bible is going to answer. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to leave you, um, in a sense, asking yourself some questions so that you have to go home this morning and you have, to, you have to answer those things. You have to get before God and say, hey, what is my purpose here on this earth? Like if God were to come down right now and he was to say, hey, this is why I put you on this earth, how would you answer that question? Where do you find meaning in life? Where do you find fulfillment? Because the truth is, we're all looking for something to give us fulfillment. We're all looking for something to fill that empty void inside of us. And the truth is, God has wired us that way. He's wired us to want to crave more. He's wired us. We know that something is missing inside of us, and it has to be filled with something. The question that we have to answer this morning is, what are you filling that meaning with? What are you filling that void with? We all know that something is missing, Is your joy or is your purpose, is it wrapped up in you? Okay, I find meaning in work, so I just work all the time. I feel like I'm validated as long as I'm busy and as long as I'm working. Or maybe you find purpose in meaning in family. As long as I'm around my family as much as I can, then I find meaning, I find purpose. Maybe you find fulfillment in shopping, in hobbies, in certain things that you do over and over and over again. Maybe you find fulfillment in your giftings. Maybe God just gifted you in a certain area and and you take that gift and you say, this is what I am defined by. Here's another question that we have to answer. What are you finding, and I'll rephrase it this way, what are you depending on to make your life worth living? What are you depending on right now to make your life worth living? And if that thing was taken away from you, would your life still be worth living? And the truth is, if it got stripped away from you tomorrow and you don't know how to function, then immediately we reveal what you're living for and we immediately we reveal what your God really is. 
and where you're finding that purpose in. See, life is so fragile and it's so futile and it goes by just like this, but as human beings, we know that there's this emptiness inside of us, so we have to attach ourselves to something. And if it's not God, here's, here's the tragedy in it. If it's another person, if it's another human being, it's if a work, if it's a hobby or whatever, if it's a gifting, if we attach our meaning and our purpose to that, what happens when that goes away? See, when that goes away, we don't know how to function anymore. When that goes away, we don't know what our purpose and our identity, and we don't know what we need to do anymore because our identity was tied into something that has a very short shelf life. What is it that really gets you out of bed in the morning? What is it that causes you to say, hey, my life is actually worth living? Because there's a bunch of us in here today that would say, well, obviously it's Jesus. Obviously Jesus is what uh, makes my life worth living. But the truth is we look to a thousand other functional saviors every day to make our life worth living. So let me put it to you this way. Some of us, we may say that cop-out answer, well, it's Jesus. Jesus is what makes me worth living. But the truth is, for many of us, if our bank account got below a certain level, we'd freak out, right? Or some of us, well, you know, it's worth me living because I got a really good education, and I'm really smart, and I, I, I really understand knowledge, and I know how to operate, and I know how to do this, and I know how to do that. Or maybe it's personal wisdom. Maybe it's your husband. That's your reason for living. I mean, that's probably Claire's reason for living is me, but um, I'm kidding. Um, Although I will milk it while I'm injured as long as I can. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your children. Maybe my children, that is my purpose, that is my reason for living. You know the number one statistic of why parents get divorced? Is whenever all their children leave the house, they don't know what their reason and purpose in life is anymore, and so they leave each other. It wasn't centered on them. It wasn't centered on, you know, the marriage. It wasn't centered on God. It was ultimately, it was centered around the children. This is why, you know, taking your wife out or your husband out on a date might. This is why spending quality time together is so important. Because your first priority in a relationship is not your children. It is your spouse, believe it or not. Because here's the truth. If I love my wife well, guess what? One day my children will do the same thing. If they see, hey, dad's, I'm leaving, yes, we'll be gone for a few hours. And they know this. They know when it's date night. And it's so funny now, like, they'll see us kissing in the kitchen. And we'll see, like, a, a kid looking around the corner going, <laughs> you know, snickering and laughing and thinking it's hilarious. And I'm like, hey, son, one day you're going to do this and you're not going to think it's gross, right? But a lot of us are looking to other, fun- what do I mean by functional saviors? I mean, as long as your bank account is good, you're okay. You don't need God, right? As long as your health is okay, well, I'm, I'm good. I'm in good shape. I'm good. I don't need to lean on God for anything. But here's the truth. The world is going to do everything it can to distract you from your real purpose in life. That God didn't put you on this earth just to make a ton of money. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Maybe God gave you the ability to make money so you could be generous. But God didn't put you on this earth just so that you could live a meaningless, fruitless life. He put you here on this earth for a very distinct reason so that you can make an impact in the people around you. It's also the reason that so many of us stay busy. It's also the reason so many of us stay busy because the moment that we stop is the moment that we have a head-on collision with the reality that our life isn't really what we want it to be, right? It's why we work so much. 
It's, it's why we stay busy. It's why we keep our minds constantly going because we don't like to slow down. We don't like to stop because as soon as we stop, we have to wrestle with, oh my gosh, this is really my life and this is what I'm dealing with. See, the truth is a lot of us spend our lives trying to secure something that Jesus has already secured for us. So here's what I want to bring you back to in a moment. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And you just hold your finger there in verse 1. We're going to get to it in a second. But every human being, including myself, in this room this morning, from the second that you were born to the, to the, the moment that you were able to think for yourself, there was something that you knew in your own life that was missing. It's why people turn to relationships and, I mean, I, just, I don't know why I just need this girlfriend. I don't know why I just need this man or I don't know why I just need this drug or I don't know why I just need this. I need this. And the truth is, you do need something. There is an emptiness in all of us. But I'm here today to tell you that emptiness that you have will never be satisfied unless it is satisfied in Christ. You will go from man to man to man to girl to girl to girl to drug to drug to drug to job, to job, to job, and you will never find what your heart is truly looking for until it can finally rest in Jesus. So let me give you a little bit of context before we actually read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, uh, King Solomon, he's actually about to go on this rant. If there was Facebook today, he would have went on like a Facebook rant, okay? Um, and he goes on this rant. He's basically saying, man, life is absolutely meaningless. There's no purpose. Everything that I do doesn't have any kind of meaning to it. And he's looking at his life and he's going, what do I gain by all this toil? What do I gain by building this house and buying these cars and doing all these things if I'm just going to die anyway? What do I gain by living a life, working my fingers to the bone, and then in 75, 80 years, life is over for me, and I lose everything that I worked for? What does life really mean? Where, is there any purpose really found in life? He's, he's asking these questions. And let me just point you to something real quick, because the Bible is one story in three parts. And it's this, God made all things good, number one. Number two, we broke it, we messed it up. And number three, through Jesus, God cleans up our mess. That is how the Bible acts, okay? God created creation and it was perfect. Sin came in, we destroyed it, and now God is coming back in in point three and he's rescuing us. So what is Solomon doing? He's looking at the landscape of his life and going, man, everything's meaningless because I'm just going to lose it in the end. Um, Blaise Pascal, who is a French philosopher, he put it this way. He said, we, 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 we're all kind of like disinherited princes. And let me explain what that means. Imagine for a moment, you came from a family who was super wealthy. How many of you guys have ever seen The Crown on Netflix? Any, anybody, The Crown? Um, but basically, if you came from a, a wealthy royal family, you had everything that you could ever dream of. From the second that you were born, everything was set up. You didn't have to work a day in your life. You know, when you turned 18, they're like, hey, here's your castle. And here's all your servants. And here's the, the finest food in the world that you could ever imagine. You got all the cars. You got all the girls. You got everything that you could ever want. And then in one moment, somebody comes along and says, hey, you know what? Um, we're kicking you out of the kingdom. You're, you, you can't have the castle anymore. You just, you're out. 
you're out of the family, you're no longer a part of uh, any of, of what we're doing. And what Blaise Pascal says, he said, that is the disinherited prince syndrome. We all know that at one point in our life when God created everything, that we were perfect and complete. That in the garden before, before Adam and Eve sinned, that there was, some, there was a wholeness about us. And that emptiness that we all feel in life is a lot like that prince that had that castle and had everything, but we got kicked out of the garden. And so for the rest of our life, we know like, man, I know there's more to life than what I'm actually living. We feel like disinherited princes. I knew I had something a long time ago, but I don't have it anymore. And he says that emptiness that we all feel inside, it's because that moment that sin came in, we're not perfect and we're not complete anymore. And the only way that we come to some kind of completion is if we fully and wholly submit our lives to Jesus. But until we do that, we're going to feel like disinherited princes. Until we do that, there's always going to be this thing inside of us that is missing. This is why we're all searching. This is why we're all saying, man, there's got to be more to life than this. Ultimately, Solomon is examining a life in a broken world and saying, if this all life has to offer, this sucks. <laughs> if this is all life has to offer is for me to just build a home and have all nice things, but I lose it in the end, this sucks. It's meaningless. It's vanity. He's saying, man, I, I'm going I'm to work my fingers to the bone only to give it over to my children who are just going to squander my wealth. And the truth is, all of your work and all of your striving will one day cease, and the only thing that will last in this life will be your relationship with Jesus. Listen, the money that you have right now, the cars that you wanted, the house that you have to have, and I'm, I'm, look, I'm not preaching against any of these things. All I'm saying is this, and you've heard me say this before, that car that you so desperately had to have will one day be on the side of the road in Baton Rouge crushed. That's probably where mine is going to go. <laughs> Everything that you're working and striving for and toiling for right now, it is meaningless unless you have Christ. Because the only thing that you can take with you in the end is your relationship with Jesus. But see, for so many of us, we flip that upside down. I'm not happy unless I have this and that and I need this and I need that and I need this and I need that. But in the end, all of that stuff will go away and in the end, all of that stuff doesn't mean anything. So let me just kind of sum all that down into one simple phrase, and it's this. You can have everything and still have nothing if Jesus is not your everything. You can have all the world has to offer, but if you die and you were never fully submitted to Christ, you have nothing. Nothing. At the end of the day, the everything that we're talking about is Jesus See, Solomon was the wisest and richest human being to ever walk the earth. And although he was full of wisdom, full of wealth, full of knowledge, he looked down into the pits of his heart and he said, I'm still empty. I've got everything that the world has to offer and I still don't feel happy. Let me read to you in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. And it says this, this is Solomon speaking. He says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. So he's saying, okay, let me just try alcohol. He says, 
After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine, and while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines or prostitutes. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. Now watch this, verse 11. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worth my while. There was nothing worth my while. So let me, let me sum it all down to this. Solomon, listen to this. He had 700 wives. How many of you know that is like an emotional basket case right there? <laughs> Set Like one is enough, okay? 700 wives. Not only did he have 700 wives, he had 300 prostitutes. A house that would make any billionaire lust. He had everything he ever wanted. He threw parties. When, he, when Solomon would throw a party, it was, he would slaughter an entire herd of cattle to feed all of his friends. Solomon was actually uh, probably with some of you guys last week at Mardi Gras. He knew how to party. <laughs> like he knew how to throw down. This dude knew how to throw a party. He had servants that took care of his every need. Like if I, like if I don't want to get up, he, he would just ring a bell. Whatever his eyes desired, he took it. He kept his heart from no pleasure. So think about that. Every time a thought entered into his mind, I want that, go get it. Every single time, he denied himself nothing. Even after all the achievements, after all the possessions, and all the greatest parties, he still goes, I'm empty. I'm empty. Look, He had everything the world has to offer. Everything. You know this, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, it's a proven stat that 90% of the suicides that happen, happen to the wealthiest people in the world. You know why? Because they've sought everything that they know how to, to try to bring them happiness. I bought the boat, I bought the plane, I got the car, I got the women, I got the money, I eat out whenever I want to. I do all these things and they sit back and go, why am I still not full? Like I have everything that my heart could desire. I haven't held back from anything, but there's still an emptiness inside of me. And ultimately, here's what Solomon is saying. If you look at Ecclesiastes in context, he's not saying that life is just meaningless and there's no purpose in it. Here's what he's saying. He's saying life is meaningless and there is no purpose in it apart from Christ. 
Because what's the point? What's the point of toiling? What's the point of working? What's the point of doing anything if we don't have a relationship with Jesus? Think about it this way. <laughs> How many of you guys, like, you just, you enjoy maybe working out or going to the gym? Anybody? Okay. Um, those of you who spend loads of time, years, days, decades at the gym, is your body perfectly sculpted how you want it to be right now? No. Right? It's not. It's not. I mean, you can go work out and you do all these things and you're still going to look out of the mirror and go, eh, well, that's not there yet. <laughs> and you're still going to critique every little thing. And the truth is you could work out for the rest of your life and you're still going to find some kind of flaw in your body, Right? You can do all these things. Those of you who spend hours and hours searching and reading all the books in the world, is your mind full of all the knowledge in the world yet? No. Those who, maybe you struggle with, you know, drugs or alcohol, and when you've drank all you can and you've taken all you can, are you still happy? Are you satisfied with that? Maybe for a moment, but then what, what happens? Then you have to wake up and you've got to do it all over again, right? And what am I getting at? I'm getting at this. If all our pursuits here on this earth are what we're living for, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. John 4, 14 says it this way, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, he will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up in eternal life. Listen, you can work, you can do all these things. But unless you have Jesus as your source, you will always be thirsty. You'll always be thirsty, you'll always be searching, you'll always be longing, and you'll always be looking for something more. Because the truth is, people live People die, we save money, we spend money, we build businesses, and then we hand them over to the next generation. We do all these things. One day there'll be somebody that stands in my spot, right? One day, you, don't, you never know, it may be one of my sons preaching up here. And all of my work and all of these things, it won't go to waste if I'm living it for Jesus. If it's about building his kingdom rather than my own kingdom, my own empire, then this will last. So that's what Jesus is trying, that's what Solomon is trying to get us to understand. In Ecclesiastes, ultimately what God does is he reveals what life would be like without him. See, Ecclesiastes is ultimately a book designed to bring us to our knees. And the author wants us to realize how short and futile life is without Christ. So here's what I want to extend to you today. If you don't know Jesus, then guess what? This is an invitation for you to know him. Because as I said in the very beginning, life is so short. You don't have the time that you think that you have. Oh, I'll get around to that in five years. Or I'll, I'll apologize and I'll forgive that person when I come around to it. No, right now. The number one thing that our generation, the millennial generation, if you're in here 20 to 30s, the number one thing that we fear the most is making a commitment. Just making a commitment. It's why, so many, it's why so many people would prefer to live together rather than get married. Because I, I don't know if this is going to work out. I don't know if we're going to do this. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. God just say, look, make the commitment, I'll be with you. <laughs> We've got to come to a place where we finally just go, okay, 
I've been just testing and playing in the waters long enough. I need to come to the place where I finally make a commitment to fully, wholeheartedly serve Jesus. So here's the question. What is such a bleak and depressing book doing in the Bible? Because that's really what Ecclesiastes is. It's just life is vanity. Life is meaningless. All of your toil means nothing. I'll tell you why Ecclesiastes is in the Bible. It's simply this. The truth of of the matter is most of us will not run to Jesus until we realize we're desperately sick. (laughs) So here's what this means. Most of us don't go to Jesus until he brings us to rock bottom. Oh, Jesus, I'm I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Ecclesiastes is in the Bible because it begins to open up some questions that we don't really want to answer ourselves. And what, it's, what Ecclesiastes does is it's designed to bring us to our knees to show us our filthiest self and go, I definitely need a Savior. I need Jesus. Romans seven twenty four through 25, this is Paul writing. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love that line because what is Paul doing? He's saying, listen, wretched man that I am. And if you read the Bible, I mean, Paul did tons of great works, didn't he? But he's still under the impression and he's dealing with the realization that, man, without Jesus, I am just desperately sick. Without Jesus, I am nothing. I'll say it again. You can have everything and still have nothing if Jesus is not your everything. No matter how much time you spend, spin pursuing your own satisfaction you will never find purpose and you'll never find meaning until it is wrapped up in jesus let me read the last part of chapter 2 in ecclesiastes verse 24 this is solomon so i decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction and work then i realized that these pleasures are from the hand of god For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God does not take the wealthy away and gives it to those who please him. This too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I don't know if you noticed this in verse 25. Solomon says, apart from God, who can eat or have any enjoyment? So how many know this? I mean, there's definitely pleasures in this life. You know, how many of you have ever sat down at a good steakhouse, you cut into a steak and you bite that steak and you're like, thank you God for cows. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you just eat it and you're like, this is the best steak I've ever eaten. Or women, you know, when you sit down and finally it's, the, it's quiet in your house and the kids are sleeping and you crack open that bar of chocolate and you take that first bite and you promise yourself you were only going to take one, but then by the end you eat the whole bar. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you're like, thank God for chocolate. So there's definitely pleasures in this life. Maybe you get to go on a vacation and you sit in this tropical paradise and you look at creation and you look at the ocean and the mountains and you go, man, this is so beautiful. God is so creative. And he does all these amazing things. Here's what Solomon is saying at the end. Listen, and this is, this is just the truth. He's saying all the mountains, all the great food, all the great friends and family members that you have, if you don't surrender and submit your life to Jesus, that's your reward here on this earth. Your reward is you get to enjoy the mountains, you get to enjoy the breeze, you get to enjoy the chocolate, you get to enjoy the steak. 
But what Jesus is saying, listen, those things are great, and I created those things because I am a creative good God, and I want you to look at them. But ultimately, I want you to look at those things, and hopefully it points you to me. Because here's the last thing that we want, that man, we, maybe, maybe you live a good life and a joyous life here and you enjoy the mountains and the oceans and the chocolate and the steak and all those things. But if Jesus wasn't your everything, then those things are your reward rather than spending eternity with Jesus. And what Jesus is trying to wrap us up into is saying, those things are good, but listen, I have a reward far better for you. A reward that will far outlast any of the mountains, any of the chocolate, any of the steak, any of the amazing food that you taste here. And that reward is spending eternity with Jesus, free of pain, free of sickness, free of guilt, free of shame, free of doubt, free of worry. He says, I want you to experience that. That's why I love the Bible when it says, but whoever drinks of that water that I just spoke about, I will give to him and he'll never be thirsty again. Jesus is saying, listen, if you find meaning and your purpose wrapped up in me, guess what? You'll never go searching again. You'll never go searching and longing and looking for, you know, a man to fill that hole in your heart or a woman to fill that hole in your heart or a stuff or a thing or whatever it may be. Jesus is saying, listen, if you wrap yourself up in me and you find purpose and joy and meaning in me, you'll never thirst again. You'll finally come to a place where all of your searching and all of your toiling and all of your looking and all of your longing will come to an end. And you can say, wow, man, I found joy and peace in Christ. See, at the bottom of it, we're all disinherited princes, right? We know that we had that kingdom. And when sin entered in the world that was taken away from us, And we know that somehow we've got to return back to that kingdom. We've got to go back to that place where we once were. And let me speak to you for a moment for those that don't know Jesus. That emptiness that you feel inside, that searching, that longing, all it is is God graciously saying, hey, listen, I love you enough to give you that emptiness. To make you feel like, man, something is wrong, something is off. And the only reason I'm giving you that is because I want you to understand the only reason it's going to be filled, the only way that void is going to be filled is through me, when you come to me. And the thing that I love about the gospel is Jesus says, hey, listen, just come how you are. I'm not asking you to clean yourself up. I'm not asking you to get everything in order and straight and right. I'm just saying, come right now as you are. That's the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, isn't it? If you don't know the story, it's about a father and a son. A son who says, hey, dad, listen, I don't don't like your rules. I don't want to live under your house anymore. So here's what I want you to do. You have an inheritance for me, right? Give me all my money. Give me me my land. give Give me everything that's owed to me. I want to take that, and I want to just go, and I want to live my own life. So what does he do? For a few years, man, he goes off. He, what does he do? He goes to Vegas. He goes to all the big cities. And he spends all his money. He has a grand time. And probably in that moment when the money was there and the women are there, if you would ask him, how is your life? He would say, it's awesome, man. It's awesome. But then what happens? The money dries up. The friends start to leave because you don't have the money anymore. (laughs) And he finds himself in a pig pen, feeding pigs. And then he comes to this realization of, oh my God, my father's servants have it better than me. My father's servants have it better than me. 
And the thing that I love about that story, it says when he comes to his senses, he goes, I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm not even going to go back as a son. I'm just going to come to him, and I'm going to say, Father, listen, don't take me back as a son. Uh, Just take me back as a servant. Let me serve and work in your fields for the rest of my life. I'll just serve you. I just, please, I don't want to eat with pigs anymore. And the thing that I love about that story is what what does the father do? He says, he denies his servanthood status. Let me just be a servant. He says, no, you're my son. What does he do? He puts the ring back on his finger. He puts the sandals back on his feet. He gives him the robe and he throws a party. And so many of us have bought into this idea for so long. Well, if I come back, man, the church is just going to hammer on me. God's going to be angry at me. And that's why I don't come. I hear, I hear stories all the time. Well, listen, I would love to go to your church, but the reason I don't, because I'm telling you, as soon as I walk through those doors, um, it'll, the, the church will burn down. <laughs> it's going to burn down. My response to one person is, your life is burning down. You need to come. <laughs> like, it, it's already burning down, bro. You're already going down in flames. And the thing that I love about the father in that story, it's exactly how the father treats us. When you decide to return, when you decide to come home, he doesn't take this big gavel and, where have you been? What have you been doing? Where's my money? I can't believe you've lived your life this way. He says, welcome home, son. The thing that I love about the father in that story, he never brings or mentions anything about his past. Where have you been? What'd you do with my money? Where's my land? He just says, welcome home, past is over. Let's move on. That's what I love about Jesus. That's what Jesus wants to do to many of us today. He's saying, listen, just come as you are right now. Let me speak to some of you. Some of you have been sitting in these seats since day one, since the day we've started. We've been here for two and a half years now. Maybe some of you sit in the back row or in the middle or in the front, and you've been here for two years, and you still have not made a decision to serve Jesus. I'm here to tell you, stop waiting. There's, listen, if you're waiting for the perfect moment, there's, it's, there's never going to be the perfect moment. <laughs> Excuse me. Jesus is saying, listen, just come as you are right now. Give your heart fully, wholeheartedly to me. And I'll give you what you've been longing and what you've been searching for all along. See, Solomon had his way. He had everything that he ever wanted, everything that he could ever desire, anything his heart lusted after, he took it, and he was still empty. So all I want to do this morning is just to remind us that void that you feel, that emptiness that you feel in your life right now, it's only going to be satisfied by Jesus. That's it. Jesus is the only one that can bring satisfaction to how you feel inside.